If you say it long enough, hard enough, often enough, people will start to believe it. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Former President Trump on Wednesday sued three tech giants, Facebook, Twitter, and Google, and the firm's chief executive after the platforms took various steps to ban him and block him from posting. Trump, speaking from his Bedminster, New Jersey golf course, announced that he would serve as the lead plaintiff in the class action lawsuit, arguing that he has been censored wrongfully by the tech companies. Former President Donald Trump shoved himself back into the spotlight today, denied a national megaphone and thus the political relevance he craves. Trump announced that he's filing class action lawsuits against Twitter, Facebook and Alphabet, which happens to own Google. I stand before you this morning to announce a very important and very beautiful, I think, development for our freedom and our freedom of speech. We're demanding an end to the shadow banning, a stop to the silencing, and a stop to the blacklisting, banishing, and canceling that you know so well. Our case will prove this censorship is unlawful, it's unconstitutional, and it's completely un-American. Speaking about freedom of speech and the First Amendment, which applies to the government, not to private sector companies, Trump called his lawsuit, which was filed on Wednesday in the United States District Court for the Southern District of Florida, a very beautiful development. I'm filing as the lead class representative a major class action lawsuit against the big tech giants, including Facebook, Google, and Twitter, as well as their CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg, Sundar Pichai, and Jack Dorsey. The entire suit is a fucking clown show without merit, which has been roundly mocked for its ineptitude. Listen as Trump boasts about hiring lawyers for big tobacco to represent him in court. We have a lot of the tobacco lawyers, you know. I said, who are the best lawyers? Well, the tobacco lawyers seem to do a very good job, so I figured let's see if they want to do it, and they really wanted to do it. Undaunted, his political operation immediately began fundraising off MAGA diehards who will throw money at the president if he fucking farted in a can and claimed that it was a new COVID vaccine. This time he'll rake in millions for something that will undoubtedly get drop kicked out of court. I think this is more of a PR stunt uh, than a legal case. They know this case will be summarily dismissed, and that just adds to the talking points that the, even uh, the, the courts are out to get him. Uh, but the First Amendment is very clear. It states Congress shall pass no law. The courts have uh, interpreted that to mean any form of government, so whether it's the executive branch or the legislative branch, the government can't restrict free speech, but Twitter and Facebook and Google are private actors. Uh, it, just as much as you or I uh, could throw someone out of our homes if they came inside and started screaming at our other guests, in the same way Facebook and Twitter and Google can throw people off of their platforms if they abuse their terms of service. At the event and in court documents, Trump's legal team argued that the tech firms amounted to state actors and thus the First Amendment applied to them. But social media companies are allowed under current law to moderate their platforms. They are protected by a provision known as Section 230 that exempts internet firms from liability for what is posted on their network 
and also allows them to remove postings that violate their standards. The lawsuit asked the court to declare Section 230, which Mr. Trump has railed against, unconstitutional, and to restore the former president's access to the sites, as well as that of other members of the lawsuit who have been blocked. The suit also asked to prevent the tech firms from censorship of Mr. Trump in the future. There is no better evidence that big tech is out of control than the fact that they banned the sitting president of the United States earlier this year. A ban that continues to this day. Continues. So we get the word out, but it's uh, not a fair situation. Very, very bad for this country. Very bad for the world. If they can do it to me, they can do it to anyone. In a rambling press conference at his New Jersey golf club, Trump claimed it would go down as the biggest class action ever filed because thousands of people want to join. Our case will prove this censorship is unlawful, unconstitutional, and completely un-American, Trump said. If they can do it to me, they can do it to anyone. Until recently, Facebook had a policy to eliminate all posts, sharing evidence that the horrible virus emerged from China. They said it didn't emerge from the Chinese lab, Wuhan. Remember I said Wuhan, it was like a bomb went up. Wuhan came from the Wuhan lab. Of course, there were body bags all outside the lab. Nobody ever mentions that. I wonder why. They said it came a thousand miles away from a bat or it came from another country. They tried to blame Italy. They tried to blame us, but they gave that one up. That was also misinformation. But when I said it, it was like a weapon went off, a major weapon. I won't use the, the word weapon because I never use the word nuclear. But we have to be careful with our leadership because if we don't have the proper leadership, we're in a very perilous state. So we don't use the word nuclear. I never use it, okay? Never use it. I never said it. That's called disinformation. At the end of the day, this lawsuit is a pure publicity stunt. Trump is using the opportunity to once again attack some of his favorite political targets that were unrelated to the lawsuit as an actual legal gambit. He also said on Wednesday that he would pursue his anti-tech company agenda in Congress, state legislatures, and ultimately the ballot box. Remember that Donald Trump is one of the most litigious people we've ever seen in American history. I mean, he's filed suits, <laughs> threatened suits, withdraws suits, and so forth uh, at the drop of a hat. It's a way of strategy for him. And his view is, and he has told aides and advisors this, is that suits are not just there to win, but they're there to achieve a different purpose, to send a message, to intimidate an opponent, or to create pressure on somebody, that sort of thing. So he doesn't always follow through. Even if he does follow through, he doesn't always take it the full uh, you know, the full length of, uh, of an actual court process. So, you know, the message you just played, I think, is the message trying to get across. If they can do it to me, they'll do it to you. In other words, he's connecting to his base. They're out to get us. And that you should remember that I'm one of you and you're one of, uh, of me. And so that's the most important message I think he's sending. Trump is ultimately counting on the fact that these measures get thrown out of court, which will allow him to rail against the courts themselves while basking in the attention of conservative media who will no fucking doubt run with the story ad nauseum. I guarantee he doesn't want this to move forward for one single reason. Trump would be open to discovery about his role in citing the January 6th insurrection, something he is steadfastly hoping to avoid. 
to underscore the frivolous and desperate nature of the lawsuit, Trump's political action committee started fundraising and soliciting donations before Trump was even done speaking. Now for the latest in Trump indictment news. Over the weekend, careful watchers of the former president's Sarasota, Florida rally were treated to what it's likely to become a cornerstone of his defense strategy, feigning total ignorance of tax law. And yet they go after good, hardworking people for not paying taxes on a company car. Company car. You didn't pay tax on the car or a company apartment. You used an apartment because you need an apartment because you have to travel too far where your house says you didn't pay tax. Or education for your grandchildren. I don't even know. Do you have to? But does anybody know the answer to that stuff? Trump's remarks provoked a flurry of reactions from some legal commentators and pundits who saw the besieged client running his mouth in public and potentially undermining his legal team's carefully manicured strategies. These legal problems may also force him to eventually have to stop these rallies because the more he opens up his mouth, the more incriminating, the more often he incriminates himself. For example, last night, Lindsay, he said, oh, it's just about fringe benefits. Did you notice he didn't say, oh, their, their, their lawsuit, their, their charges against my company are false. Mm-hmm. He just didn't like what he was being charged with. But Trump wasn't so much upturning his legal defense as much as he was delivering his sloppy fucking rendition of it. This was his latest version of it was a perfect phone call. He's not denying that it happened, but rather is denying that what happened is actually a crime. Or in this case, claiming that he didn't know that his decade-long tax avoidance scheme was against the law. I don't want to pay tax. These are grand larceny charges. These are essentially false statement and obstruction type charges. And the evidence laid out, if if the prosecutors can prove all of the allegations that they lay out in the indictment, and it surely appears that they can because much of what they discuss is documentary evidence, then Weisselberg looks like he is headed for a conviction. In some cases, not knowing the law or pleading ignorance of a crime can be considered a defense. But in Trump's case, his own past statements will certainly undermine his attempts to cast himself as an innocent rube. That's because for years, Trump has referred to himself as the fucking king of the tax code. This is a man who is serially allergic to paying taxes. He hated it beyond and above just about anything. Remember Leona Helmsley, hotel heiress, and the Queen of Mean, who did her own stint in prison for tax avoidance. Her famous words were ones that Trump lived by. Only little people pay taxes. So you better believe Trump prided himself on knowing every loophole in avoidance strategy known to God and man. And to underscore his knowledge of this code, he has gobe on record time and time again boasting as he did about knowing more than the generals and later more than the scientists at the CDC. That more than anything, he was a certified tax fucking genius. Nobody knows the tax code better than I do. I'm like a student of the tax code, he said during a 60 Minutes interview in 2015. 
He repeated that sentiment on MSNBC and later told supporters in Tampa, I know more about taxes than any human being that God ever created. I spend millions of dollars a year for lawyers and for accountants to do my taxes. I mean, they do a great job. Nobody knows the tax code better than I do, okay? I know it better. I'm the king of the tax code. I know more formulas. I know more about tax abatements. I know more about taxes than any human being that God ever created. I knew how to use the tax code to rebuild my company when others didn't have a clue. Some of them come to see me today and they say, man, I wish I saw you, Donald. I know how the tax code works better than anyone. And I'm going to fix it so it's fair and just. Did you use that $916 million loss to avoid paying personal federal income taxes? For of course I do. Of course I do. See, I understand the tax code better than anybody that's ever run for president. Should this investigation make its way to trial, prosecutors with the Manhattan District Attorney and New York State Attorney General will want to grill fucking Trump under oath for hours. The result will undoubtedly be ruinous for his defense as his boasting and prior claims will completely undermine his lack of knowledge claims. If I was um, in the position of being their lawyer, Joy, I would give them the same advice that I would give to anybody else who's under investigation in a criminal case. Don't go out in public and run your mouth. If you're going to talk with prosecutors or investigators, do it with your lawyer present or better yet, through your lawyer with you not being in the room. Uh, this is just really insanity. But you have to wonder, does this signify that they believe that they are so untouchable that they can get away with anything, that they really believe that by catering to the court of public opinion, they can outrun the courts of the state of New York? It is really baffling to see this kind of conduct. Behind the scenes, the ex-president has insisted that New York prosecutors are also out to hurt his business and try to poison the Trump Organization's dealings with other companies. In the past few weeks, Trump has encouraged people close to him to publicly claim that his family business is thriving. In recent private conversations, the former president has lamented that further investigations into him and others at the Trump Organization could potentially stretch on for years, adding to his hefty and growing pile of legal bills. Well, better get fucking used to it, buddy, because it's only going to get worse. You talk too much. Never shut up. I said you talk too much. Oh, boy, you never shut up. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is the comedian and social media star Walter Masterson. For those of you who flock to progressive Twitter, you can see his videos which garner hundreds of thousands of views on Patriot Takes and Midas Touch, Lampoon and Mine, and the more extreme corners of the MAGA universe. Present at the January 6th insurrection, Masterson's videos have provided viewers with frontline access and insight into the MAGA mindset. At the same time, his videos and dispatches gleefully troll unaware ultra-right imbeciles as they give themselves up on Twitter and TikTok. So much so that he has been instrumental in helping the FBI apprehend rioters who have boasted about their crimes on tape. 
His most recent dispatch from Trump's Ohio rally has proven pivotal in his ability to puncture the MAGA myth. Rather than showing it as a fearsome gathering of rabid Trump supporters, Masterson pulled the camera back and revealed the rally for what it was, a sad and desperate attempt to relive the magic of a previous era, showing the empty stands and crowds leaving bored in droves in the middle of Trump's rambling speech. He joins me on Mea Culpa today to discuss what it's like to tangle with the Proud Boys and what's coming next for the angrier areas of the Trump mob. So let's listen now to that conversation. All right, so Walter, you're one of the most prominent voices on political TikTok, which skews much younger you know, audience than other forms of social media. Can you explain to me how the political TikTok has evolved in the Trump age, especially since the events of January 6th? And how does it differ from more established platforms like Twitter or Facebook or even Instagram? It differs greatly from the other platforms. There's, this ties into the reason that Trump wanted it shut down. Okay, TikTok, you know, it's, it's visual. You have to make a video from your phone of you, right? And it's harder to, you know, use bot programs. So Trump, one of his big things for all of the platforms was using bot programs. He had bots for Facebook, bots for Twitter, bots for Instagram. And they would come in, retweet, like, and do all, you know, they'd wreak havoc on stuff. And they'd make it seem like something was actually a thing. It's m- way more difficult to do that with TikTok. Extremely difficult. It's almost impossible. And so, what about the, but talk to me about the audience. Uh, they're obviously a younger generation. Though I started looking at TikTok, I actually opened up my own account on it and you know constantly as soon as you get up there's a daughter who's shaking her ass then the mother comes in and she's smacking the daughter because she's shaking her ass on the thing and then the mother starts shaking her ass i'm not really sure what tiktok even is i mean do, do i have to start shaking my ass in order to in order to become somebody that people follow i mean that listen if you shook your ass anywhere i think a lot of people would take notice Ah. I mean, Michael Cohen shaking his ass is kind of a, you know, that's newsworthy. Oh, definitely. So I I think that would just transcend any platform. I mean, if you were to create an OnlyFans, I'm not even on OnlyFans, but I mean, I, on principle, I feel like I would have to, you know, subscribe to you. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's weird. It started very young because it was originally called Musical.ly. And then it was, then it, you know, then it just became this video sharing platform. And, you know, it's skewed very young when I started on it. And then the audience of it started to become, you know, just the the spectrum started to widen tremendously. So in the the beginning, it was, you know, a lot of just teenagers. I felt very weird being on it. And I started making more content, engaging more when it became, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I mean, I'm surprised when I have, you know, people, you know, that are older come up to me on the street and say they love my TikToks. I'm like, wow, you you watch TikTok, okay? So it's 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 not um it, it started as that. You are correct. Well, you know, one of the things that I hate when I'm watching and I'm looking on TikTok and I check on every day or other day or something like that just to see if one additional crazy follower has joined me onto it. And the things that I hate are the ones that 
they're so fake, right? And people just do it. It's like, you know, they're setting up some sort of a gag on somebody. And all of a sudden it goes on and on and on. And it just doesn't, it sort of doesn't stop. And you're sitting there, you're like, really? The guy's like banging a drum behind her head and she doesn't see that he's there. I mean, what I'm trying to really figure out is there's so much stupid content. Well, there's that. There's, yeah, I mean, I there's a lot of this like very contrived staged pranks that, you know, it looks like it's all sponsored by Bang Energy drinks or something like that. And, you know, the same people that are like crushing a Mountain Dew. I feel you on that. So, yeah, I I wish I could be that broad, but I'm not. I feel like my what I do is very specific. Right. So the reason I bring that up is, you know, there's so much stupid content on on TikTok. Yeah. But then yours is yours is real. I mean, you've kind of taken the political Twitter um, Facebook sort of world, and you somehow manage to mesh it into something that's really more, as I said, you know, younger kids shaking their ass or, you know, asking you to follow them because they're talking sexy or something like that. How did you do it? What gave you the idea? And how did you end up accomplishing it? Because you are truly probably the most prominent political TikToker out there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And um, so he, so I... I mean, I'm, I'm, I am a comedian, and it started with just me making comedy. I had this one video that blew up, and it just, I, the idea for it came out of just necessity. I was on my way to my day job, and I was trying to upload one TikTok every day. And I thought, okay, well, what can I do on my way to work? So I thought, all right, well, let me do this one with a, you know, a motivational guy, you know, talking about his morning motivation routine before he goes out and you know, create success. So I thought, all right, I have one where I'm going every morning before work, I drink my iced coffee, then I talk to the president. And then the next shot is me screaming at Trump Tower. Like, you know, like, and I thought, what a psycho. He's like, I'm screaming at, I'm, I'm, and this is what I'm talking, you know, I mean by talking. To Why do you think, you think, you think my day was any different when I would go and walk to work yeah. and I'm standing in front of Trump Tower? Yeah. So I made that, I made that video where I'm just like, I'm screaming. And this is when Trump was trying to shut down TikTok. So I'm like, every morning I drink my iced coffee. Before the stock market opens, I drink my iced coffee. Then I speak to the president. Then I'm like, you can't shut down TikTok, you fascist. And then I just keep walking and enjoying my iced coffee like hmm, ready to start my day and that video just went gangbusters it was absolutely any like i feel like it was weird if you didn't see the video if it didn't no matter who you were it, it crossed platforms it went everywhere and um so then it and then it you know so i i feel like i was just being honest at the time where i was you know the climate when you look at the climate you know last year during the pandemic and how upset everyone was I feel like I was, you know, I was, I was pissed. I wanted to make comedy, but, you know, I was, I was upset. So I was like, let me make honest comedy. And then it grew to where, you know, I've always loved Borat and The Daily Show. I mean, I, you know, I adore what they do. And all these kids. Oh, well, Borat is yeah. the best. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen, there's nobody funnier yeah. or better. Yeah. So people on TikTok that when, when Trump's Tulsa rally got canceled, not canceled, remember there was that big thing where that started on TikTok, where we all would uh, RSVP to his rally. And he thought he was going to get a million people. And it was like a few thousand. That was TikTok. Now, after that, people thought it was really funny. And I thought, wait, guys, 
what are we doing here? Why didn't all of us just go to the goddamn rally and boo him? And then I was trying to get people, I was like, let's just go to these rallies and mess with them. Like, instead of, you know, RSVPing to go and then not showing up, go and interact with these people. And, you know, there's there's a lot of just stuff that I thought was hypocrisy that I thought, all right, if I ask you one question, then I ask you another question, you're going to contradict yourself very quickly. And it's going to become and it's going to become comedy. So I, I thought, all right, let me let me do that. So I went to a bunch of rallies and it was, you know, and it was fun. I got to do this and it was. Um, and the, the funny thing is, I swear to God, I think about this all the time. You know, the election came and went. Uh, Trump lost the election because um, he's a loser. And I, uh, I thought, oh, well, you know, I got to figure out something else to do because I can't go to rallies anymore because why would there still be rallies? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought, you know, it's an, in a non-election year, you know, why would there still be massive rallies all the time? Um, the funny thing is because, been, it's, because it's good from it's good for my bottom line. Yeah, it's good. It's the only way I'm going to be making money. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I I just I kept going to make, you know, to make do these interviews, which are just honestly, as a comedian, I will never find a comedic partner better than these Trump supporters. Because the stuff they say is so wild. I can't write better than that. No one can write better than that and and do stuff like um, at the top of your intelligence, you know, because they, they teach you that in improv. You're like, oh, you have to work off the top of your intelligence. So when you look at it, you're in a scene partner with your improv and you go, oh, like, here, here, open that door. You know, you have to know. He's like, oh, come on. You know how to open a door, right? You know what a door is. But if you're talking to a Trump supporter, it's like, no, that door was made by Antifa. You know, like, so you're not going to get a comedic mind more brilliant than just one of these crazy Trump supporters. It's just not going to happen. They're just a blessing. Right. And, you, and you do know and you do know that door spell backwards is rude. Rude. <laughs> rude. And it's a joy. It's Soros. It's an anagram for Soros. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but one of the funny things is that Trump was actually ahead of his time in a weird way because TikTok, while you're at, you're right that he couldn't control it with um bots. the analytics and the and the bots and so on, what he did do is he created on both Facebook and on Twitter, he would do something called from the desk of Donald J. Trump. And this is, was going on during the campaign uh, for 2016. And he would get on and he would look all fucking serious right into the camera. And Jeff McConney, who is, you know, the um, controller that works for Alan Weisberg, his son, Justin, used to do them. And he would, you know, have have the camera all set up and Donald would get real serious and he would have his, you know, little notes uh, written out on the desk, and then he would start to rift and go on and on. And it was interesting because those from the desks of Donald Trump would start seeing 30,000 likes, 50,000, a million. And it for him, it all became about likes. You would think he was, you know, like a fifth grade child, right? You, you know, how my, Michael, did you see how many likes I got on that video? Uh, yeah, boss, it's phenomenal. So he, would, Fantastic. So, he would, so he would be like an influencer. He would talk to you like he was an influencer. He'd be like, yo, check out all, all these likes. Yo, see this? It made the front page of Reddit. So he, that he would talk. He would talk like I would talk. I talk to my friends that way. But I've never been the president of the United States. 
So he would talk to you like with the excitement of like some brand new influencer, like check out this post, look how many likes it got. Like, all right, like I'm, I'm juicing the algorithm. Like look how many new followers I got today. You have no idea every day and not just once a day. It was every day, all day. And when he wouldn't just say to people like me or Don or Ivanka or, or uh, Eric or Jared, he would say it to the doorman. He would, anybody that would call him on the phone, the guy would legitimately turn around. The first thing out of his mind is, you know, I put out this video and everybody's loving it. It's, he goes, I'm bigger than the New York Times. I have 35, 40 million likes. That means that 30, 40 million people watch this video. I have more people watching my video than are subscribers to the New York Times. And that's how he thought. And it's and it's truly interesting because he ended up taking that theory right to the White House. He ended up using all of the social media to constantly put forth his message, whether the message was true or not. Most of the time it wasn't, it was but it didn't matter because he did it over and over and over again. And it was repeated by by these bots and by these fake media outlets over and over and over to the point that it actually became true. It became reality for many of the people that even still to this day, that 25% of the population that believe that Donald Trump is still president and that he's going to come back into office in August. Yeah, so I, I was there the last time, on the last day that he was supposed to come back into office. I went to D.C. and like all the Trump supporters, they weren't like wearing their MAGA hats, but you could sort of tell they were supporters and they were walking they were doing a perimeter around capitol hill just sort of waiting for something to happen it was so amazing they were like they thought like something was actually going to happen that day they i came to dc to document them being lunatics and they were there like legitimately thinking like this is the day when he flies in on a spaceship and takes the white house back i and it yeah, these people, these people are truly out of their mind. But, you know, Walter, in your reporting and observation of the more extreme MAGA supporters, how do you account for the mass brainwashing of millions of people who now believe that their own country is the enemy? I mean, and that's the scary part. See, I, I knew that something nasty was going to happen on January 6th. I have been going to these rallies after the election and what I started to see was that, you know, your moderate Trump supporter, there was no such thing as a moderate Trump supporter, in my opinion, anymore. I would speak to people that looked looked and sounded very normal. The stuff that would come out of their mouth was absolute nonsense. And I thought, and that's what was frightening to me, is I thought, all right, the, you know, the center of this movement has shifted so far over. And it's you know, your moderate Trump supporter believes in all of these insane things that, you know, there's microchips in the vaccine, the election was stolen. Um, you know, we, we could go on and on. You know, COVID's not real, all this. And it's just all encompassing. And it, and it just, and I, you know, I think social media played a huge part in that. Uh, you have Facebook and Twitter, which I think helped radicalize a lot of these people. Yeah, it's true. Hi folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. 
Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out last Thursday's episode with Ulrich the Mole Larson, who spent 10 years undercover in North Korea, infiltrating its illicit arms trade. Truly unbelievable, made for Hollywood stuff, but it's all true. This show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the February 2nd episode with Ramit Sethi, who will teach you to find your dream job. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But, you know, one of the things that's bad about social media, and I'll talk about from your perspective, because in many ways it's so similar to mine, because you're such a prominent voice on TikTok and people know who you are, when you go out into the street, and I want to specifically talk about going to these rallies, there are people that recognize you. I suspect that you're not going in costume, right? You're not putting on fake mustaches and beards or dyeing your hair or putting on a wig. Well, here's the weird thing. I feel like because information is so fragmented within our society, I've capitalized off the fact that Trump supporters live in a parallel universe. So like six months after January 6th, six months, Infowars did an article on me on how I was the guy at at Capitol Hill that infiltrated, dressed up like a Trump supporter, got interviews, got all this stuff and blended in right on the steps while all of this was going on. And this is based... I mean, it was almost comical when they made when they wrote this article, because I was like, dude, I've been all these all my videos have gotten millions of views. People like recognize me on the street, but all of you are catching up now. So I I I get recognized. All the Trump supporters in New York know who I am. I've been to their rallies so many times. They see me coming. I, I still haven't gotten recognized at the rallies. Well, which is which is thankful And the point I was trying to make is it's dangerous. You know, um, I mean, there are people and you may have seen I posted this one woman who was running in the park and it was the second time. And I sort of had enough of her and her stupid shit, you know, where every time she would see me, she would start screaming at me. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Sticking her middle finger at me, you know, you know, just in a complete rage. And I I really just wanted to sit her down and ask her, you know, hey, stupid. 
What are you in the fucking rage over, Donald Trump? Because if you were on fire across the street, he wouldn't cross the street to piss on you, to put the fire out. That's, that's, the, that's the fucking truth. And so here she is attacking me in the park. The first time I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to let it go. I don't care. Screw it, right? Because most people here in New York are not Trump fans, and I get more people asking for selfies than anything. But the second time she did it, I said, no, 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 that's bullshit. I've had enough. So I videotaped her, and then I sent it to all the media, and then it went viral, and so did she. And I have to say, um, I haven't seen her in the park again which is really nice. So let her go run somewhere else. But my point to you is that, you know, it's, it's dangerous. You know, these Trump supporters take it so personally that you are anti-Trump, that this is an affront to him and his sensibilities, and they take it as if it was something against I them. Threats. I mean, it's actually become, it's actually kind of messed up because it's become normalized. Like when, me getting threats is sort of a, it's become it's normal to me. And I I was thinking about that the other day, like, you know, I was when I explain it to someone that I don't know how it's like kind of a normal thing. I, then I realized, like, wow, I've actually kind of like it's, you know, like I'm sure you it's, you know, suffered. you've become Trump. You become Trumpized. Yeah, it's Trumpized. And it went down a little bit because while he was president, people felt like they were working on behalf of the state. So people would make very open and, and explicit threats and they wouldn't even attempt to hide their identity. They would just thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm defending the president of the free world. And they would come after me and say stuff that's like, dude, you didn't even hide your identity. You made it wasn't like a little like sly thing. They would openly say nasty things. And I feel like that sort of dropped off a little bit after January 6th. January 6th it was like a ghost town because... People kind of got the message like, no, this is domestic terrorism. Like law enforcement does not have your back. And after inauguration, Trump doesn't have your back either. Like he's not pardoning anyone. He gave out zero pardons. Like you said, like he doesn't he wouldn't piss on you if your lips were on fire. You know? Yeah. Sad. Right. Now, you know, in, in furtherance of that question, you're more on the front lines of what's happening than most people. Do you fear that there will be more violence? And what is the state of the more radical elements of the Trump base that you're seeing? What, what, in essence, what I'm asking you is, what keeps you up at night that you've seen at these rallies or in your experience doing all of these TikToks? It, it, keep, it, it bothers me a lot. Like the fact that I knew, I was on social media screaming that there is something bad coming on January 6th, like that it's not okay. I mean, I remember... Like I was I did a live stream right after I went to the December rally and I was crying. I was crying like because I was like, this is the energy was palpable. And I feel like, you know, there's you know, there's there's two Americas, really. And they're very sheltered from each other. The liberals, the progressives are they're They're very sheltered from the messages of the Trump supporters. So and that that scares me because I feel like a lot of what they're saying we don't have access to until it becomes mainstream. Kind of like, you know, how, you know, they, they go around talking about anti-vax and anti-vaccination and we don't hear about it until it's like sort of being anti-vax is mainstream, like everyone's saying it. And it's now like infected everyone. And I feel like they are, what scares me is the fact that 
they are planning to attack the midterm elections. And they're they're going to put like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. They're going to put more of them up there. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is unique because she is just the craziest, most, you know, clinically insane person there. They're going to be people worse than her. And they're planning on doing it. Their plan was is to primary challenge Republican senators and Republican Congress people that did not you know, support Trump's bullshit uh, election fraud claims. So they're 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 mobilizing against that. They're using trans rights. They're using critical race theory. They're using all those little like lightning rods to they know how to scare white people better than anyone. I mean, they got white. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a real issue. I have a real issue with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I can't stand her. She's one of the frequent um, people that I attack on this program because of the ongoing continuous comments that she makes, sort of referencing everything back to Nazi Germany and to Hitler. Oh, yeah. My father's a survivor. My father's a survivor. Well, no, it gets, and, you know, no, it gets he, worse than that, Michael. So if you go to the anti-vax rallies in New York, the anti-vax rallies, it's alt-left, alt-right people, Trump supporters and a lot of crazies. And they exploit the Holocaust all day. They've been doing it for a long time. And then on one of the rallies I went to in Brooklyn, it was someone that was you know, purporting to be a, uh, a Holocaust survivor that was speaking at the rally and giving legitimacy to that claim. And it, I thought that was disgusting. I'm like, that was the, that's the point I yeah, was going to bring up gross. when they did when they did that. I find it just not just gross; it's despicable. And people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she, it should be outlawed that she should be allowed to procreate. She should never be allowed to procreate. And you know, they should take her, put her somewhere off into a corner, seal her in there. And you know, when she dies, she dies. And so does her hatred and her and her venom and her and yeah. her just. Just her despicable be- behavior. But I brought up all that part, part about, you know, things being dangerous at these rallies because you went to that rally on January 6th. And you've been extremely instrumental for scores of these rioters being apprehended by the FBI. Now, how did you come to work with them? And why is it that these people continue to confess their crimes on video? Now, we know that they're stupid. So don't give me that as the answer. But there has to be something deeper than the fact that they're just plain fucking dumb and that they're willing to talk to anybody on a video camera to and confess their crimes. I that that to me was the most upsetting. Like people would um, because I was dressed like a reporter and a Trump supporter. People like came up to me and they said, oh, I need to give you this footage. And they airdropped me footage of themselves like running into the Capitol like as the door, I'm like, so I'm watching a video of the doors being ripped off. I'm, you know, I'm watching very explicit videos that are, are very unsettling. And I, I was like, okay, like, it, I mean, this material was forced upon me. I went there to do comedy. I didn't go there to infiltrate. I just happened to be there when this, when this all happened. And I, and I had cover. And, you know, as soon as, as soon as someone showed me a picture of Ashley Babbitt's head being blown off, I was like, all right, I got to go. And then, of course, you know, I, I, I interviewed the Q shaman, the, the Viking. And and I, I inter- you know, I interviewed there's there's people that walk through my videos, you know, like uh, the woman who stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop walked through one of my interviews. 
Um, and then one day the, the FBI showed up. They couldn't find where I lived. So they went to my friend's house and they waited outside for for me to go to his house. And I, he's a TikTok creator. I went to his house to make TikToks. So I showed up at his house and then and then they showed up. And I was like, and that scared the crap out of me because they did. They said they didn't say they're looking for him when they when they knocked on the door. They said my name, which made me think, oh, it's a Trump supporter, some lunatic here to beat me up. Um, and I said, all right, here, listen, I got obviously like I was there like you're you're welcome to all of my footage. I mean, I've posted most of it online anyway, but I just, you know, and I, and um, that, uh, I mean, that, that, that messed me up uh, mentally because that was, I, I got to say this, the problem, you know, they're, they're radicalized people. Radicalization makes you stupid. It makes you a little dumb. These people, and it, it frightens me sometimes because some of them, they, you know, they hold businesses, they run businesses, they speak multiple languages, some of them, not like, I'm not saying it's like the intellectual class, but it, it's sort of the logic and reasoning to put two, two and two together doesn't, doesn't work. And it, it, it's, it scares me. And the, the problem is that, you know, a lot of them are, when you talk to them normally, you know, they can rationalize things, they can, they, you know, they're nice, there's some of them are actually lovely very warm, gentle people and kind people. And this radicalization does something. It flips the switch. It makes them like, you know, foam at the mouth when you mention critical race theory, when you mention Black Lives Matter, when you mention Nancy Pelosi. And it, it makes them stupid. I mean, that's what's easy to make. That's why it's easy to make comedy with them. Like if I start a sentence with Nancy Pelosi, you know, they're not, they're not thinking about the next thing I'm saying. Like the, I have a bit that's online where I go around and I say, what do you think about Nancy Pelosi and George Soros designing the banking system in Animal Crossing? Right. Now, Animal Crossing is a video. It's like a kid's game. It's a kid's video game and it has a banking system. All right. But in the sentence, I've said Nancy Pelosi, George Soros banking. Right. That's all you heard as a Trump supporter. And you're furious. And it, of course, in the video, it's it's too easy. Like there's like multiple people just foaming at the mouth. They're furious about it. This is the first they're hurt hearing about it, and they're pissed. And you know, and it's it makes for great comedy because they've been trained to like when they hear Nancy Pelosi, they just you know they see red. I mean, I'm just not really sure how you end up going to an insurrection, thinking that you're going to do comedy, right? I mean, why don't you just go there with a bunch of balloons and like, you know, in <laughs> start doing like balloon animals or, you know, hey, Mr. Funny Guy, make me a fucking bicycle, right? So is that going to be, is that going to be your next thing? Comedy at the insurrection tour, comedy. you know, here throughout the city? Well, you know what I wanted Because to... I'm just not sure. I'm not really just sure. How do you go ahead and make comedy when, you know, this group of people who, I didn't find them to be warm, fuzzy, you know, compassionate people. These are people that showed up with bear spray oh, yeah. and firearms and zip ties and, you know, metal poles and, you know, and flag poles that are with points at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, I didn't find I didn't find well, no, this to be the, an area that you can do well in comedy. Well, no, I mean, that's I, I didn't think that either. Like, I mean, I spoke when I spoke to the Viking, the Q shaman, you know, when you speak to him, if you're just to speak to him normally, he 
he has a very warm energy. He's very attentive. And, he, you know, he's very, you know, gracious in that, you know, and people, and the problem was, you know, you speak to these people, you know, I speak to them and I don't, I'm not debating them. I'm, I'm one of them. And I speak to them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes I keep in touch with them afterwards. And, you know, they seem, you know, they, you know, like the Q shaman seemed like a really nice guy. And that's what messed me up in my head was I watched this really nice guy just run into the Capitol and he stormed the nation's capital with a bunch of violent people, you know, and, you know, to disrupt, uh, you know, a democratic election, the certification in of a democratic election. And that, that, that's one of the things that messed me up. Like there are people that I knew that I met that are on the most wanted list that were, when I spoke to them, decent. Well, they were decent because I was dressed like them. I was identifying as them. Um, and they, you know, and that, and then to see that someone who is a nice person do a nasty thing. Okay, but Walter, but Walter, Walter, the QAnon shaman would have looked somewhat in the right place if he was at a Minnesota Vikings game, but he was storming the Capitol yeah. wearing a Vikings hat, three quarters naked, painted in you know with with war paint. Oh, yeah, it looks like he, that's not that's not normal. That's not to me. That's not normal. No, no, right? it's not. Now I do. So I want you then, if you could, describe for my listeners your experience that day and how you've since found yourself trolling the MAGA universe because you're so damn good at it. Um, my experience that day was, I mean, it was, I, I went in there and I knew that there would be like, that there's going to be, that it was going to jump off. It was going to be, and I spoke with my friends. My friends said, listen, Pence certifies, I actually got the times wrong. They said Pence certifies the vote at four o'clock. And they said, listen, get out of D.C. by four o'clock. Get in there, get some funny interviews, talk to people, be taillights by 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 the time Pence certifies the vote. And I, and I knew that. And I, I didn't I didn't know he certified the vote before four o'clock. So I got that totally wrong. And so I, I went in there with like, all right, let me get in, get out. And I didn't know that it was going to be so concentrated. And, and it was I went in there with that thing with like I, I was scared. I was kind of scared. I didn't sleep the night before. It was one of those things where I was like, I, I didn't want to go, but I felt like, oh, I can't not go. Um, you know, there's another group of people that do what I do. They're called the good liars. And I I'm friends with them. And I texted them the night before they got into D.C. the night before. Right before I'm about to go to bed on January 5th. I text them and I'm like, are you in D.C. yet? They're like, yeah, we just landed. I was like, what's uh, what's D.C. like right now? They're like, dude, it's bad. There's a lot of anger in the air and there's a ton of proud boys. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. They're like, yeah, it's it's weird. And I didn't sleep that night because I just was spinning in my head. So I yeah, that, you know, so that was like. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I you know, I love I love uh, I love trolling these people. And uh, the, the funny thing is, is I, I actually learned a lot about them and how to speak to them. You know, so, you know, the, one of the things I want to do is I feel like it could be really positive where I where I get them to agree on a lot of subjects. Like I have a lot of them right now agreeing about critical race theory or I have one woman who's a QAnon person. You know, she's agreeing on communism, you know, like. I feel like until you say, until you say communism, they're on board. Until you say critical race theory, they're on board. If you just describe it without buzzwords, 
they, it's it's bizarre. They're like, you know, what was the funniest question and answer that you got from somebody while interviewing them on January sixth? Oh Jesus! Oh, so there was um one of the ones that went viral that was crazy was I talked about the government uh, taking over Medicare. The government's going to take over Medicare, right? Um, so and I and I would say like, what do you think about the plan to have you know the Democrats' plan to have the government take over Medicare, which sounds absurd, right? And I said this multiple times. No one asked for a follow up question. No one asked. Wait a sec. What do you mean? What do you mean Medicare is a government program, right? Everyone just went, God damn it, and they got furious. <laughs> it was immediately like, what? The, it was so funny. I was like, what the? I was like. And it worked so well. It worked like, and I was like, oh, this is too easy. All I said was government, Democrats, and they're, and taking over. And they were like off to the races. It made it too easy. So then there's a follow-up. What do you think it would take to break this fever of these millions of MAGA fanatics? Does Trump actually need to go to prison? Or will that just make them even, you know, will that make him even more of a martyr and <clears throat> them crazier, right? Now that said... You recently attended the Wellington, Ohio rally and described a half-empty field where people were bored as shit and leaving in droves. Now, are people beginning, in your opinion, to turn away on their own? Or does he still, or, or let me ask you, or does he still have this firm hold over his base? He does have a firm hold over his base, but they showed up to hear, they wanted to hear Trump tell them how he's going to get back in office. Like his they wanted to hear a plan like I'm, you know, I'm Trump. I'm getting back in the office in office this year because I, you know, he want they were there for an unveiling. Right. Like they still believe all the election fraud nonsense. But they you know, when he just was given this, the same usual speech, they were like, OK, we heard this before. You know, we're still part of the cults. You know, we got to go. Um, and, uh, you know, that was. That was amazing. I hope that video ruins his day, his week, his month, and even his year. I hope the video. Like yeah, that. I don't think that's going to be the thing that's ruining it. I think it's more like the indictment right now of Alan Weisselberg and his eponymous company. And the fact that there are more indictments, superseding indictments about to come, right, against Don Jr., Ivanka, Eric, Jared, Rudy, him. You know, um, I mean, I think he's got. Ivanka scares me. Because you know what, I think you know his two sons are idiots. To be let's, they're just they're not smart. They're not tactful. They just rattle off, and I feel like they're just on daddy's payroll, really. Like so, they sort of you know they're his mouthpiece. Whereas Ivanka is a little bit more measured. She knows what she's doing. I don't think she's as hot tempered as the as the the men in the family, and I feel like in a few years she's gonna do this thing where she comes in and acts like she wasn't, you know, working hand in glove with her father. And she's going to, she's going to act like, well, what? I wasn't part of all of this. You know, my husband and I didn't make, you know, half a billion dollars during the Trump administration using all of the, you know, the inside knowledge we had. No, actually they did. Yeah. No, and they yeah. were successful yeah, they totally in obtaining did. loans on 666 Fifth Avenue that they never would have been able to get, but for the assistance, whether it was Saudi, Qatar, or some other Arab Emirate country, you know, he that whole Kushner company would have been, you know, 
up shit's creek, so to so to speak. But me personally, I find that most of these people that are going to these rallies don't really want to listen to Donald at all. I think all they want to see is a big giant wind gust blow his hair up and back down. And that's all that they're really there to see. Because to listen to the same spewed bullshit over and over, it's the same fucking story since 2015 when he started doing the rallies out there. Now he's just added a few things. Oh, they stole the election from us. They stole it. It was ours. They took it from us. I mean, it's just, it's the same well, listen, bullshit. There's something I really hypnotic. Won. I really won. There's something hypnotic when you go to these rallies because I feel like conservatives, per se, and, and Trump, they're very good at saying a lot of things that sound like they should be true, right? And they're very hard to contest because you're like, wait, what? Like Jim Jordan at that same rally got up there and talked about how there are parts of the United States where you're not free to worship, which is complete bullshit. You're like, what are you talking about? You can go and worship wherever the fuck you want in this country. No one cares, right? But he was, I know they say things like that of like, you know, we need to we need to start, you know, bringing back our we need to start making freedom and liberty a core value for these for children today. We need to make, you know, we need to bring back freedom and liberty. We, they they talk about censorship as if as if, you know, as if we're in, you know, some authoritarian country as if they can, you know, as if big tech is just censoring them, you know, and they don't talk about why they're being censored. And it's. They say stuff that sounds like it should be true. They talk. They all talk about hydroxychloroquine as this miracle drug when it's been completely found. It it's, has no, you know, medical use. Very little. Well, it's a malaria. It's a malaria yeah. drug. Perfect. I mean, there are people. There are people who were very sick who ended up taking hydroxychloroquine, whether they would have gotten better uh, or not. You know, and these people go ahead and they tell others who tell others and nobody and their, their biggest problem is that the president or the former president, who I call a fucking coward, never went out like Obama did. Or, or President um, Clinton or President Bush. None of the former presidents um, did what Donald did. They came right out and they made public service announcements saying that you need to do this and we're doing it in front of the camera so you see that we're doing the same thing that we're asking you to do. Now, Donald wouldn't do that. He, he refused. And the story is that the day before leaving the White House is when he and Melania got inoculated. I mean, that's that's a fucking coward. That's actually an asshole because he already knew that at the time we had lost over 500,000 Americans to this coronavirus, to this you know Trump pandemic. And he didn't even have the decency as a human being to show the country, to show the world that I believe that this is safe. I mean, first of all, he thinks he de he deserves the Nobel Peace Prize for it, but he's not willing to take it. And that to me is really that that's a fucking coward. And it's really ignorant and it's arrogance and it's everything else that makes Donald Trump one of the three worst presidents that this country has had so far. Probably the worst. Um, but yeah, he and he um, what's yeah, what's even amazing is I've watched him at rallies talk about how he is responsible for the vaccine rollout, how he, because he's a businessman, he got, you know, he got it through the, the hurdles, the bureaucratic hurdles so quickly. And this is, and how he deserves. Nobody did it faster. What? No, one, no one could have done it faster. 
It was the fastest. It was the fastest cure ever created in U.S. history. Yeah. Right. Nobody did it faster. That, that's that's so. It's one of my favorite questions to ask every every Trump supporter I do it with. They all fall for it. I say Donald Trump doesn't get enough credit for the vaccine rollout, <laughs> for how quickly it went, for how this and you know, and then they they're nodding their head. They're like, God damn it! Yep, the liberal media, the this they totally were nasty him. And in the same breath, I say, you know, are you get do you get vaccinated? Nope. Yeah, these people are so stupid. The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. My journey back to the world started with being released from prison into home confinement. The only way I got through it was to prioritize my mental health and realize that it was going to take some time. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always give the advice that we need. In my case, nothing they said related to what I was going through. Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and actually rewarding. When you're in a low point, you might feel alone. But over 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. Talkspace makes it easy to match with a licensed therapist and schedule live video sessions, all from the comfort of your device. You can start messaging your therapist the same day that you sign up. Whether you're a parent, student, millennial, or just someone having a hard day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy, in addition to medication prescription services. Set goals with your therapist, and they can help make sure that you're really progressing. Talkspace works around your schedule, at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app. Schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapists from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. Thousands of licensed therapists are available for you to match with. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more to help you start feeling better today. So start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code COHEN. That's $100 off when you use promo code COHEN at Talkspace.com. Since we're asking about questions, in October of 2020, right before the election, you interviewed a Proud Boys group asking them what they thought of Donald Trump's call for them to stand by and stand back. Now, one of the individuals then very specifically talked about how it was a call to arms. And if Trump was not elected, that there would not just be a riot, but a civil war. Now, to your knowledge, did any of these guys follow through on their threats on January 6th? I mean, they were. Yeah, that, that's what they were trying to do on January 6th. And, and they were, you know, ever since that interview, I don't I try I stay away from Proud Boys. They kind of terrify me. So they, uh, yeah, no, they, that was, that was a terrifying interview. They, and they were, 
dead set on starting a civil war. And that was that was what January 6th was about. Like there was a ton of Proud Boys there, you know, raiding the Capitol and ready to rock and roll on January 6th. That was their their day, their last stand, their We the People 1776 moment. Now, my understanding is that one of the leaders of the Proud Boys actually, you know, some are saying that he's an FBI informant now, Ontario? <laughs> which I find. Yeah, which I find um, absolutely amazing in the fact that to do a complete that's this isn't even a 180. I mean, this is a this is a 360. This is a guy who, you know, was involved in so many parts of the planning and now supposedly involved with the FBI talking about and in essence bringing down the Proud Boys as a uh, paramilitary group for Trumpism. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I had heard the same thing. I, and he had, he seemed like he had worked with them as a, was a confidential source, confident, you know, cooperating witness on a, on multiple occasions. And it was, I, I don't think he's bringing down the, I don't think he's helping them bring down the proud boys, but I think it's like, he has worked with the, the cops and, you know, so it's also interesting to note it, the, the liberal media, you know, if you're a progressive, you don't really get, the whole Trump camp in the in the Proud Boy camp, you think it's all a bunch of white people with white, you know, white supremacy. It's you know, it is racist. It is misogynist, but not in the way you think it is. It's you got to I most people that are progressive, they don't they don't get it. I mean, you have a lot of the Proud Boys that are Latino. You have you have Asian, black, Indian members of the Proud Boys. They got to be, but they got to be few and far between. But I do want to ask you because you constantly refer back to how the Proud Boys, um, you know, and some of these other groups really sort of terrify you, right? Because you've been in right there, dead center in the middle of this January sixth insurrection. You faced off with the Proud Boys, and that you've trolled everyone from QAnon supporters to MAGA fanatics. Now these aren't people that are known for their sense of humor, especially not when you're making fun of the you know, supreme leader, right? Yeah. So have you been on the receiving end of any reprisals or threats? And what's been the scariest moment for you thus far? Um, the scariest moment, I think, was... Um, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, January 6th was, was terrifying. Obviously, that, you know, gave me you know, trauma for months afterwards. Um, just because if if they had recognized me in the moment, I, you know, they could have beaten me up and there's no police that could have stopped it. There's nothing and nothing would have stopped what was what was coming. And uh and you know, if they had beaten me up. And that that scares me to this day. That like that, you know, sometimes when I flash back on that, I was messed up mentally afterwards. I started walking down the street and like a normal person, all of a the sudden they're wearing a MAGA hat and they're wearing like a We the People shirt. And I'd look I'd look at them again and they're not wearing a hat and they're wearing like a different colored shirt. And I was like, so like I was starting to like hallucinate. Like it was it got, you know, like it was that's when I was like, all right, I need to go see a therapist and talk about this because this is like this is messing with my head. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it's like in a movie like you see you're like, wait. 
this person's not MAGA. Like, why do they look MAGA to me? Um, you ever, do you ever question yourself and say, what the fuck was I thinking when you decided to go pull this sort of comedy stunt at the insurrection? Because, oh God, you know, man. and again, by the way, not too dissimilar to me whereby you haven't stopped. I mean, you know, you went on your comedy at the insurrection tour, but then you continue it, you know, on TikTok where you're trolling these Proud Boys, these MAGA fanatics. My, my real question to you is, you know, has there been any reprisals? Like, I get fucking hate mail all the time. When I was in prison, when I was in prison, it got so bad that the FBI Secret Service showed up there and then they started going through all of my mail, even, you know, whether it was with if it you know came in colored paper, then they threw it away. Uh, but they were looking for it not to throw it away, but more to see whether or not some of these groups were planning on, you know, attacking Otisville or something like that. And so, you know, it became that would be like a, a reprisal for me for speaking out against, you know, um, you know, the supreme leader. Anything similar to that happened to you? Well, um, people threaten me all the time. People make very nasty threats just, you know, saying, you know, when I see you at a rally, like I'm going to knock you out. And, you know, just right. I mean, for the most part now, like the people doing it are very, they don't seem very intelligent. You know, like one guy tried to invite me to a rally said, oh, there's going to be a rally here. And I was like, oh, cool. I might show up. And he goes, great. When you show up, I'll be, I'm going to, you know, knock your teeth out. And I was like, dude, you, you could have, you could have gotten me to show up. Like if you were a bit smarter about this, like hypothetically. Does he not know how much money that your parents spent on those teeth? Because you actually have really great teeth, right? I mean, (laughs) you know, are they real by the way? Yeah, they're real. Thank you. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, well, good. Because you definitely don't want them knocked out then. Now, you were also one of the first people to interview um, Jake and Jelly, the so-called QAnon Yeah, the Viking, yeah. Now, the Viking, yes. When you were speaking to him, does his mask ever slip and he lets down his guard for a moment? Or is he just thoroughly indoctrinated into QAnon? If you can, describe to my listeners what it's like to interview someone so certain of their beliefs, but it's so off base and so inaccurate and so wrong. Does it ever dawn on them that they're being, you know, just fucking absurd? Um, no, I mean, he's he's full on. He, he sticks. I mean... To his credit, when I interviewed him, it, it wasn't even that interesting. I didn't. I wasn't even going to post it, the full interview, because it wasn't that interesting. It wasn't comedic. There wasn't anything funny. He stuck to his talking points very well. Like he didn't. De- there was no deviation. Like it was very difficult to get him off topic and off message. I mean, he went there with very a very specific set of talking points and to. You know, it's funny when I can get him to go off topic and off message, but he never went. He never deviated. He was a full on like believer, like he fully believed this. And that's what was that's what messed me up in my head is because he believed this insanity. But when you talk to him, he is a nice, attentive human being. Like he's one of those people when you speak to him, you get the feeling that his, you know, he's a hundred percent focused on you and that he's listening to you and that he is, you know, and those are, you know, I mean, like 
and you know, and he's and he's kind to you, you know, and stuff. So and that that messed me up. That that's messes me up to this day. You know, a lot of them are like that. You know, the one guy who scared the shit out of me. There's a video. Uh, of a guy who first, as they entered into the Capitol, mustache, beard, sort of um, auburnish kind of color, just with this thousand mile stare in his eyes, screaming, you know, at the top of his lungs. And I'm trying to wonder two things. First of all, who are you screaming at? Right. Why are you screaming? And more importantly, what drugs are you taking? Because this guy looked like he was absolutely out of his fucking mind on something. You think the QAnon shaman was taking something that day? I think he's, I think he's naturally that insane. Um, there was another guy, if you look at the videos, there's like a YouTube video that has the full video. There's one guy that was honestly, it, it made me upset that his behavior was normalized. So right before I was shown a picture of Ashley Babbitt's head blown off where I said, all right, I got to go. Like, this is, this is escalated. Um, there's this guy came up to me wearing a tinfoil hat and he wanted to talk to me about 5G mind control. Right. And I was like, okay, like, do you see what's going on around you? Like the, the, do you, you want to talk about another topic right now? And and the, what um, what pissed me off is that this guy was not out of place amongst them. Like he wasn't it didn't seem like he was, you know, you know, uh, off brand. And that's what like just upset me that I was like, God damn it. Like, why is this OK? Why is this normalized? You know, like it's it's yeah, there. Listen, there there is no way to explain the crazy that existed you know, um, with the bulk of these people. But I do want to say, Walter, I find you to be very funny. But nothing so far that I've seen you do is funnier than, and I want you to tell my listeners about this, your month-long quest to make the Fox News headquarters a safe (laughs) space for pigeons. There was nothing that was I found to be funnier than that, right? So what was the result of your work? And was there an increase in the overall, but I do have to ask you, was there an increase in the overall pigeon population as well as an increase in bird shit as a direct result? Yes, and you know what? I wanted to create a safe and inclusive space for the pigeons of New York city. And I, you know, when you think safe, you think inclusive of, you know, what's the first place that comes to mind? Fox news, obviously. So I thought, okay, you know, let me, you know, enroll Fox news in this, you know, creating this, this wonderful, you know, sanctuary for the birds to come and eat and shit. And it was it was just wonderful that, you know, how supportive Fox News was in this entire endeavor. You know, they understand safe spaces better than everyone, anyone. And it's just I went there every day to feed the pigeons. And it got to the point where the pigeons started to just they were waiting for me. Like they were like, oh, this is where we go to get food. And I made sure to use like organic, you know, healthy bird seed. And I, you know, dump a bunch of it there and. Um, I put some on the uh, the News Corp sign. Um, yeah, and then wherever I would put put that stuff, there would be just a whole bunch of shit. And it was uh, it was it was wonderful. It was, you know, Fox News never looked better, in my opinion. It never looked more honest. So each and every month. Yeah, that's for sure. So each and every day for that month. Yeah. You came out there with this organic seed, this sort of breadcrumb type uh 
you know, yeah. food, and you would just sprinkle it all around the walkway and by the Fox News sign and so on. Did any of the guards come out yes. noticing you each and every day? Did, what did they say to you? What did they, they, they do? There's a boundary anything? that you can't breach. They're like, all right, this is Fox News property. Like you're going to, you know, if you breach that this boundary, you're on our property. You're trespassing, essentially. So, you know, as long as you stay outside of this border, you're fine. You know, and what border is that? Because I've been to that building a hundred so times. When you see the planters that they have, like when you pass those planters, that's their, you know, property. Beyond that is just the sidewalk. That's just, you know, public space. They can't kick you out of, they can't kick you off of the sidewalk, a public sidewalk. And what happened with, of course, then, you know, throwing the, the breadcrumbs there for the birds and so on. Yeah, I mean, I would just... Did they call, did they call the police? Did they come out there with, uh, with brooms, oh, no, you know, they, to yeah, sweep would, it off? Well, they would, they would try to... Um, well, I, I spread it out very... It was, I spread it very wide. So it's, it's difficult. You know, it's like glitter. Like, you can't really sweep it up when it's spread wide, you know, when it's spread out like that. <laughs> When it's clumped together, it's of course you can get a broom and get in there, but you know they have they have a guy coming out there to sweep it up, but it's it's so widespread that you know the bird seeds like an inch or two of each pellet's like an inch or two apart from each other, and there's the thousands of those pellets. You're not you're not sweeping all of that up, you know. The, and how many pigeons do you think that you attracted? I mean, there were days when it was I felt like I was you know the pigeon whisperer, like there were just, you know, this mass amount. And then there were days when like, there was just a few and I'd be like, all right, we'll eat up everyone, you know, enjoy. So. Oh, that's very, that's very kind of you. But what I really appreciate on behalf of all of the pigeons, of course, is the organic material. That's, that's very, very, um, it's, it's, I'm rest assured. They appreciate it. Thank you. I, I, I you know, I, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Walter, you look as, <laughs> as we're as we're winding down the hour. I have one last question for you. See, I told you that the time goes by fast yeah. here on Maya Culpa. Now, one of your most popular videos recently was when you attended an anti-mask rally in March and got into a confrontation with some fucking idiot who claimed that oregano oil could treat COVID nineteen. I mean, you can't make this shit up if you try. Now, after some back and forth, you asked him if he understands how Dunning-Kruger works, at which point you explained to him that Dunning-Kruger is a phenomenon where the stupidest people in the room think they're the smartest. Now, this video has been viewed over 650,000 times. If you would, unpack for me and my listeners um, this notion of Dunning-Kruger and how you think that it applies to the MAGA movement as a whole. It's, it's, it's amazing because the anti-vax movement, the MAGA movement, like they think that they are... You know, they have, you know, privileged, you know, ac- access to privileged information. They're like, since they're on like, you know, Q platforms, they're like, well, you know, we know they're like, you know, we have special access to the truth. And it's it's like, you know, you're on you're on a group chat, essentially getting your information. This isn't vetted information. And they, they're so, you know, just, you know, you know, they they speak to you like, so condescendingly of like, you know, we are the enlightened ones. And, and meanwhile, like they get their information from the same place. And it's so, that's what's kind of just annoying to me is how, you know, 
you know, egotistical they are about, about, you know, their ignorance. They're just like, you know, they, they honestly think that the doctors are the stupid people and that we're the idiots for listening to scientists and doctors. It's, it's amazing. And their energy is like, look at you idiot, you know, like, Oh, you know, and you know, you haven't been enlightened. You haven't had your eyes opened. You haven't, you know, done your own research and stuff. And it's, it's amazing to me, like the dumber they are, the more they look at me as if I'm the, the dummy. And they, you know, they message me as if, you know, and talk to me as if I'm like, you know, I'm the uneducated one. It's so it's, that's the funniest part is they're, you know, they're like that same guy. Yeah. In the same video said, Oh, what are you going to say next? Occam's razor that the simplest explanation is that I'm an idiot. And the video just ends. It's, it's literally the best ending to a video I could ever have. I don't think that's why I'm saying as comedy partners and as improv partners, there will never be better. Like these people as comedic partners, as improv partners, nothing rivals them. You know, your greatest comedian, you know, Robin Williams would have a tough time, you know, matching them on their, you know, their improvability for just complete fucking lunacy. <laughs> yeah, I've often said it's true, but I've often said, you know, on this program as well, that the best thing that ever happened to Saturday Night Live was the fact that Donald Trump came along. Because no matter how smart these writers are, and they're fucking great, right? They really are great. They're, in, they're not just intelligent, but they're witty with their intelligence. You can't make up the things that Trump is spewing. And you can't make up the reactions that these MAGA supporters are are continuing with and promoting. And yeah, it's it is great humor. But you know what? The part that bothers me is that it's not humor. It's actually reality. Oh, yeah, it's it terrifying. would be funny. It would be funny if it was a television show, like a House of Cards type, you know, television show. But it's not. It's our reality. And the stupidity knows no boundaries. And Stupid people do stupid things, and that's what makes this whole thing very dangerous. But, Walter, I really do want to thank you uh, for your time today. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Just please, you know, do us all a favor and um, kind of limit yourself to putting yourself out there into some of these dangerous situations because, like we just talked about, these people are dangerous, they're stupid, and they're willing to do dumb they things. Wanna, they want to fight. All, all, in, all in service of Donald Trump. Yeah, they're a supreme leader. Yeah. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Well, you, you, be, you be well. Good luck with your move. And um, I'm sure we'll be speaking again really soon. And now for today's mea culpa. There's a moment in one of Walter Masterson's videos that sums up the entirety of the MAGA movement and Donald Trump in one fell swoop. He's attending some ridiculous anti-mask rally when he comes across a protester who insists that oregano oil can cure COVID-19. After arguing back and forth, Masterson asks the idiot if he's heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, explaining to the anti-masker that Dunning-Kruger instructs that the stupidest person in the room often thinks they're the smartest and as such vastly overestimates their abilities. In the case of Donald Trump and his MAGA fanatics, it has created a spiral of incompetence papered over by overconfidence. For Trump, 
It means he can know absolutely nothing about military strategy and claim without any basis that he in fact knows more than the generals. Or for that matter, he can insist without evidence that COVID-19 will disappear like a miracle because he's a fucking genius who knows a lot about science. For Trump voters, it is the insistence that whatever comes out of Trump's mouth is the gospel and anything else is tantamount to heresy. The results can be calamitous if we are to judge the past few years of what has occurred under the incompetent leadership of Donald J. Trump. Thomas Jefferson once observed that if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. We now sit at the precipice of an authoritarian era that is the byproduct of abject fucking stupidity. The terrible impulses of our worst leaders are being adopted and celebrated by our most gullible citizens. How else do we explain that fucking 53% of Republicans still believe that the election has been stolen despite all the evidence to the contrary? That said, intelligence has been beaten down in recent years by the right like a nerd getting a bathroom wedgie. Trump and his desire to defeat his detractors linked expertise with elitism and convinced his supporters to do the same. He dismantled oversight and stacked his cabinet with vastly unqualified individuals. But that has always been true of Donald Trump. His own company is nothing but Dunning-Kruger in practice. Eric and Don Jr. are two of the fucking dumbest people I have met in my entire life, but they are together put in charge of a billion dollar company. Now young Mr. Kushner is just the same, and Trump put him in charge of solving the fucking Middle East crisis. If there's one change to come in the few years beyond the incarceration of Trump, it's that we return to an era of expertise and intelligence rather than whoever has the loudest voice in the room. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa. Nothing but the truth.